Hello again, everyone. I'm Joe Longinusa, welcoming you to another edition of Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. The show where industry leaders, golf professionals, and legends all come and discuss the great game we love so much. So without further ado, let's turn it over to our host to tell us who's next on the tee. Chris, take it away. Hey, thank you, Joe. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining me again on Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and this morning I have three great guests to share with you. It's going to be such a wonderful show. First up is going to be Dave Harner. Dave is the director of golf at one of the most fantastic golf venues anywhere on the planet, and that's the French Lick Resort. If you're not familiar with it, do yourself a favor. Go to FrenchLick.com to check it out. I'm telling you, when you see the pictures of this golf course, and they've got three fantastic ones there, when you look at the golf course layout, they're going to bring a smile to your face. You're going to think, I got to play there because I'll tell you what, a year ago, I was blessed to have Dave on the show and uh, I started to do the research on the French Lick Resort at that time. And and it's certainly been on my bucket list ever since. So check it out again, go to FrenchLick.com and we'll talk to to Dave here in just a few moments. The the Pete Dye course there is the site of this year's Senior PGA Championship. Plus, later in the year, they'll be hosting for the third time the LPGA Legends Tournament. So we'll talk about uh, all of that and more when Dave joins me here in just a moment. Following Dave, our good friend and Sports One Marketing CEO, David Meltzer, will be back with us. It's it's always such a privilege to get to talk with David. We're going to get his thoughts this morning on the WGC Match Play Championship, plus get an update on all the things that he's working on in conjunction with his partner, Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon, at Sports One Marketing when uh, he joins me about 20 minutes from now. And then I get to wrap up the show talking with one of my all-time favorite guests, Paul Stankowski. For those of you who are regular listeners of this show, you know Paul is one of the guys in my dream fivesome. And I say fivesome because in any group that I would put together, I would certainly include my father. So getting to have Paul or to, in the, along with Bob Friend Jr. and Eric Johnson, those are the guys in the, in my dreams, uh, dream fivesome. I'll talk with Paul about uh, you know his experiences and memories of playing in the Masters plus the uh, the Players Championship. We're sort of you know sandwiching between those two events. We'll talk about that with him. Plus, get an update on what his company Francis Edwards is doing when he joins me about a half an hour from now. So it's going to be a great show. I'm so glad that you're here to take the journey with me over the next hour. Next on the tee is brought to you today by Seymour Putters. Let's hear a word about our friends over at Seymour Putters. Golfers, has this happened to you? Great drive. Perfect second shot on the green. Only the three or even four putts shaking your head all the way back to the cart. I have good news. Help is on the way with the Seymour Putter. The Seymour Putter Company patented RST technology sets up the putter perfectly every time using a visible gun sight on the top line. Genius. It's like locking radar onto the target, in this case, the golf hole, putting the golfer in perfect position to make a reliable and consistent stroke. The 1999 U.S. Open and 2007 Masters Champions both use, you guessed it, the Seymour Putter. So if you're ready to make more putts and take strokes off your game, log on to Seymour.com. That's S-E-E-M-O-R-E.com and put a Seymour Putter in your bag today. 
Like Joe said, check out the rifle scope technology that helped win two majors and 35 tour events so far, and it will help you make more putts too. Check them out online at Seymour.com. And again, S-E-E-M-O-R-E.com. I want to kick off the show like we do every single week here on Next on the T by saluting the brave men and women serving in our military. We want to thank all of you for your daily sacrifices and for what you do to keep the rest of us safe. We also want to thank our veterans for all you've done for us over the years. We truly appreciate what you do and what you did to preserve our freedoms and our liberties. It's through your strength and your efforts that our way of life is even possible. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and all the wonderful folks over at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It's an honor for us to have our show be a part of your network. You can find us by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. And I also want to let uh, our veterans know, be sure to check out globalvoiceforveterans.org. It's a great site with news and articles and a wealth of information designed specifically for veterans that I'm sure you're going to find both interesting and beneficial. Check it out online. Again, globalvoiceforveterans.org. I also want to thank everyone listening in on iHeartRadio, as well as great radio sites across the Internet like Spreaker, Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, Player.fm, and Blog Talk Radio as well. Plus, if someone's dragging you to the mall or out to the grocery store, you're just tired of the same old, same old on your commute, download the Player.fm or Stitcher app on your smartphone and take us with you everywhere you go. Let us give you something fun to focus on while you're out and about. All right, now joining me on the Seymour Putters guest line is Dave Harner. Let me give you some background on Dave. He is the director of golf operations, like I said in the intro, at one of the most beautiful facilities you're going to find anywhere on the planet, the French Lick Resort, the site of this year's Senior PGA Championship, and like I say, the LPGA legend as well. Folks, if you're not familiar with this facility, you really need to go online and check it out while we're talking to Dave. Go to frenchlick.com forward slash golf. Absolutely spectacular. Again, three courses, one each designed by Donald Ross, Pete Dye, and Tom Bendelow. When when I was doing the research, like I said in the intro, when I was doing the research last year when I was uh, privileged enough to have Dave join me for the first time, I immediately added the French Lick Resort to my bucket list. Dave was named the 2012 Indiana PGA Professional of the Year. He has been named the Indiana PGA Resort Merchandiser of the Year three times, and I am excited to have him back and next on the team with me again this morning. Hey, Dave, thanks for joining me. How are you? Well, I'm excited to be here, but right now I'm on the Seymour Putters website checking out which one I want to get. <laughs> there you go, my friend. Do our, do, do our friends a solid, right? Take a look. I'll tell you, I put one in my bag, Dave, when I when we first started talking to those guys. First three balls I put down on the ground, for, uh, down on the green from about 10 feet away, all three went in. I said, fellas, I'm sold. Got to have one. And uh, that, and now we've got that would do it for days. That would do it for most anyone, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So, Dave, like I've said throughout the you know the kickoff of the show, the Senior PGA Championship is being held up there at your site in just a couple of weeks, the week of May 18th. And for our listeners on the Armed Forces Radio Network, you guys are doing a great promotion for members of the military and their families. Please share what you guys are going to do for them. Well, there's going to be free tickets for all military, active and retired. Um, if you have a, a veteran's card, you just merely present it at our ticket gate, and uh, you and your family be admitted free. And it's it's uh, you know it's our way of saying thank you for looking out for us out there in the world. 
Yeah, no, and that's and that's fantastic. You know, like you know, like I say, you know, here on the Armed Forces Radio Network, we're so honored to to be a part of what's going on with the Armed Forces, and uh, the fact that you guys are you know reaching out to them and you know giving away free tickets not only to as you say to active military but to veterans and their families as well. That's absolutely wonderful. Kudos to you guys for doing that. Well, thank you very much. We're uh, we're proud to be a part of that promotion and uh, and hope everyone can make it out. Uh, it's a great opportunity to see some some championship golf right here in southern Indiana and, uh, you know, feel a part of the event. Yes, and uh, for for those that, that do end up taking part, please do a, do, us, do us a favor here on Next on the Tee. Take some pictures, show it to us on our uh, on our Facebook page, Next on the Tee. You can find us on Facebook, and then uh, uh, you can find me online at CT Mascaro. Post some pictures from out and about on the, on the course. We'd love to uh, to see those, retweet those, and uh, and uh, give you guys a shout-out. So I look forward to, to hearing more about it and seeing some pictures online. Uh, again, kudos to you guys for doing such a, such a wonderful thing for the members of our military and our veterans. Dave, people may not know, but the Donald Ross course on the property dates back to 1917. It was the site of the the 1924 PGA Championship that was won by Walter Hagen, the first of Hagen's four consecutive PGA Championships, which was a match play event back then. But talk a little bit about the history of the course and the renovation that that course went through back in 2006. Well, the the hotel owner at that time, Tom Taggart, uh, in about 1915, uh, wanted to add golf and wanted to add a championship course. We already had a, an 18-hole course down near the resort, not a championship caliber course, and he traveled often to Pinehurst and and sort of became acquainted with the work that Ross did. So we were able to track back and find a check written to Ross in 1915 as a a retainer to come build the golf course. And the story goes that uh, Ross and the hotel owner actually uh, mounted up on horseback and rode through the country to find a piece of property that Ross thought he could build a unique uh, design, emulate the Scottish playing condition, and they were able to find that property about three miles from the, the main resort, and they were able to buy 300 acres from a farmer there. You know, in those days, you had to, to buy land to build a golf course on. You couldn't move dirt. You couldn't do things like you do now. So they found this piece of land that they didn't have to really uh, move around a lot and uh, built a great golf course, and uh, seven years after it opened, the 24 PGA was played there, and uh, you know, Hagen Hagen came away with the win. I think he won uh, two up over James Barnes on the 18th hole. Wow, that's fantastic! So but in that field, you know, Gene Sarazen was in that field. Uh, Bill Melhorn, uh, some great great early players. Right. The, the the senior PGA this year is being played on the Pete Dye course. There, it's a it's a par 72, measuring 7147 yards. The second hole is something that you know captivated me, you know, and it's it's one that you guys feature a lot on on the website. But it's a it's a par four, 429 yards, and it's it's such a beautiful golf hole. It's uh it's uh you know so picturesque. Can, when you stand on that tee box, it, that's got to be a really a, a big wow factor for the golf course. Is that right? Well, you got a from that tee, you've got a 360 degree view of the horizon, and you can see. Uh, in some directions, 30 to 40 miles, and on a clear day, maybe farther. And it just is yeah. breathtaking to be up there. And, you know, especially in the early morning, uh, you know, that uh, whole course is above the fog line. And, um, you know, it, it looks like the sea out there, you know, as the fog begins to lift. And it's just really a unique piece of property. 
Yeah, the the course is is one of the highest elevations in the state of Indiana, right? About a, a thousand feet above sea level. So what this suggests to me is not not only do you get incredible views when you're out there. You've got a lot of elevation changes, like number nine, right? Par five, 566 yards, but about 300 yards off the tee, the elevation drops 100 feet. It makes it a 90-degree right turn. So that's not only got to be a tricky tee shot, but a tricky second shot and a picturesque view. You know, the thing about that hole is, is number one, is you don't see that elevation change so much off the tee. And then when you get out there, you know, if you have a drive that, that gets you in position, you've got a, a big decision to make as to whether you want to, to try to cut the corner, reach the green in two, because there is a severe drop from the fairway, and there's a severe drop from greenside to the bottom of the valley. So, you know, if you don't get it there, you've got something pretty awkward to deal with uh, on your approach. Yeah, when I when I read about the course, you know, you guys went back to sort of the native fescue grasses like we saw last year at Pinehurst, which is another Donald Ross design. How has that, you know, change in, uh, in uh, I guess, design worked out? Well, over over time on the Donald Ross, you know, we had lost a lot of the, uh, of the characteristics that Ross brought to all of his golf courses. We Over time, 30 or 40 bunkers had been eliminated. Uh, all the tall fescues and, and waste areas had been mown down and maintained at rough height. Uh, the greens with mechanical mowing, you know, and the round patterns or the round cleanup laps, they'd begin to shrink and we'd lost the edges. So in the renovation, those were some of the things we concentrated on to bring those greens complexes back out to their original square or rectangular shapes, to reshape the approaches to match those green complexes, and to reopen a lot of those bunkers that we felt, uh, although with today's technology may not be in play, they frame the hole nicely. They, You know, Donald Ross... Yeah known to tell you at the tee where you needed to hit the ball. If you had a short bunker on the left and a long bunker on the right, he wanted you to hit the ball left side of the fairway. And right. you, you'll see that you'll see those characteristics now in the golf course that you didn't see before. And the native fescues, of course, make the golf course more difficult. Um, a lot of them shouldn't be in play, but I find that they wind up being in play. <laughs> I'm sure they are. When I was reading the history of the die course, the story goes that when Pete Dye originally met with the resort owners and walked the site where the golf course was going to be built. He concluded there was no way to build a golf course on that land. The slopes were too severe. The terrain was too rugged. Do you know what ended up finally changing his mind and putting the course in? Well, you know, he got a hold of a, an old topo map from back in the 40s or 50s. And um, I think he got looking at this thing and he saw a lot of elevated points on that map. And so he was able to go out, you know, take this map and find 36 points that were higher than uh, than the horizon or higher than the surrounding terrain. So he came back with that map, and we walked all 36 of those points. And, you know, we went back to a little restaurant for lunch over here in town, and he pulled a napkin out of the napkin holder, and he took his pen, and he drew the golf course, and he handed it to me, and he said, there's your golf course. And it's funny because... I hauled the napkin around in my car for a couple of weeks and didn't really think of the significance of that napkin. Of course, it finally dawned. I'm a little slow sometimes, and it finally dawned on me that I needed to to probably keep that and get it framed, and now it's on display in our golf shop. But that's really the only uh, the only architect's drawing uh, of the golf course. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, and Pete's comment after he drew it was, you, you know, tell your people that I'm going to build this course whether you want me to or not. 
Wow. And another thing that Pete always always speaks of is, you know, it. Uh, I told him when I first went there I, uh, that a golf course couldn't be built there, and he said three years later I almost proved it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, Dave. I was. I was sort of going hole by hole over the layout, and and there aren't a lot of you know what there isn't a lot of are trees, so it's it's pretty wide open from that standpoint. So the course seems very similar to me to Augusta National in that you know there are a lot of elevation changes throughout the golf course. It it would appear to me to be a second shot course, so you have to know the sort of the right angles and the approaches to the green and where on the green you have to hit it. Is that an accurate comparison and assumption? I think the key to the golf course is keep the ball in play, keep it in front of you. You know, the, the contours and, and the elevations are not that severe in the fairways. In fact, I think Pete said there's only, you know, a couple of holes that have more than 10 or 12 feet of, of, um, of elevation change. And uh, But it's the tightest golf course you'll ever play that doesn't have a tree on it because of the way the fairway edges drop off. Uh, you know, like we talked about number nine here a few minutes ago, a 100-foot drop, if you get it off the fairway. I mean, I've seen people uh, in competition. You know, we've hosted the Big Ten Championships there three times. We've hosted the the Legends there. This will be our third year. We've hosted the Indiana Open, and I've seen people, you know, 300 yards from the green uh, on the par five with the ball three feet above their feet. And uh, wow. that's, that's just not a good uh, good situation. But I think keeping the ball in play – the greens are small. You know, Pete built this golf course uh, futuristically. Uh, he says that if the ball and the, and the equipment keeps improving, that you'll need that 8,100-yard back tee someday. Uh, and he wanted to build us a golf course that wouldn't be obsolete in 10 years. So the greens are small, you know, four to 5,000 square feet with a couple of exceptions. Uh, there's a lot of bailout area around them. If you missed it right, left, or long, sort of like the Donald Ross course you know if you miss right left or long it's a tough up and down so there's a lot of little challenges i think the accurate iron player the person that can hit high shots low shots uh, you know the wind conditions up there are a big factor that's going to be the person that takes home the trophy in may well god forbid we ever need to have golf courses play 8100 yards uh, i'm not sure what kind of game that would be you know, I Dave, saw a couple of guys uh, tee off from the gold tees up there yesterday. By the third hole, they were up on the white. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, with the with the golf, you know, where we're at today, I mean, the, the thought of trying to play eighty one hundred yards, I mean, that would just beat you to death. I mean, you'd be swinging, you know, God knows how many times if you tried to actually play from that distance. Yeah, it would be a game that's not that much fun. I would, I would imagine. There are two Dave, you know, one of the great. Holes. 275-yard carry to the edge of the front edge of the fairway from some of those tees. Yeah, I, I might as well drop the ball on the other side. <laughs> One of the great stories and the, and the great strategies that I loved, Dave, from, from this year's Masters was how Jordan Speed sought out uh, Ben Crenshaw's caddy, Carl Jackson, for advice on how to play Augusta National. Have you had any of the players from the Senior Tour or the Champions Tour or the LPGA Legends come out and seek you out to kind of get similar type of advice? Well, we talk. You know, I, I, I'm i sure they, you know, in Crenshaw's, in that example, you know, I guess that's maybe why Spieth putted so well because Crenshaw was a great putter. And, you know, I'm sure that caddy knew every uh, every putt on that golf course. So I'm sure he stressed to Spieth how important it was that he, that he do a good job on the greens. And, I, you know, yeah, they do talk to me. Um, 
they're always very appreciative of the advice I give them. Uh, I hope it's good advice. You know, we I had the opportunity to fly from uh, Atlanta a couple of weeks ago with Colin Montgomery from the Gwinnett uh, up to our media day, and we talked a lot about the golf course. And you know, when he when he came back in, he said, "I found it to be what you said." And Montgomery's a great iron player, so uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see him do well. On on the resort property, and you mentioned you sort of alluded to this a, a little bit ago, Dave. You have the the turn of the century home of Thomas Taggart. For history buffs may recall, was uh, was the mayor of Indianapolis, and at one time the chairman of the Democratic Party. Is is that just a historical site, or will that play a part in the festivities during tournament week? Um, you know, it's going to be a central uh, sort of a focal point of the event. Our uh, uh, most of our activation from our Sponsors will be up around that uh, Thomas Taggart Mansion, the public concession, the KitchenAid kitchen displays, uh, Mercedes-Benz, the KitchenAid VIP area. That'll all be up around that uh, mansion built in 1929. You know, the the real lore behind that mansion is Mr. Taggart built that as a weekend house, but wound up hosting some very high-profile political events. He was chairman of the National Democratic Party, and he was a senator from Indiana and later mayor of Indianapolis. And uh, supposedly in 1931 at the National Governors Conference, Franklin Roosevelt was convinced to run for president the first time in that house. And the PGA head will be right there. Yeah, that's awesome. So we've talked uh, a, a little bit about this already, but let's You've got the LPGA Legends Championship being played on that course later this year with some of the biggest names in the history of the LPGA, by the way, taking part. You've got, you got Joanne Carner and Nancy Lopez, Pat Bradley, my favorite, Beth Daniel, Betsy King, Donna Capone, Patty Sheehan. I mean, the list goes on and on of the greats of all time on the, uh, on the LPGA Tour. Talk about you know having those folks out there. As you mentioned, this would be the third year that you're hosting that event. Well, it's our third year, and I want to give you a couple of more names uh, that you can throw in the mix, uh, one being a lady who is right on the leaderboard this week in the regular LP, LPGA Tour, and that's Julie Inkster. Um, right. She is, she's committed to be here uh, in August, and Pat Hurst. So, you know, add those to the names that we already have, and, and it's going to be a pretty special event. Uh, those ladies are great to work with, very approachable. Um they love interaction with the crowds. There's no gallery ropes. It's just a really good event, and it's you know it's it's really their championship. It's their uh, their biggest purse on tour and their biggest field on tour. So no gallery ropes. What is what is that? How how much you know additional access do you have to these great players than you wouldn't have in, in say a normal event or a regular event? Well, of course we ask the player you know that they stay out of the fairways, but uh, sure. It's, it's not unusual to see a player walk over and interact with the crowd during the competition. You know, a couple of years ago, Laura Davies, I, I remember seeing her coming down number 18 and not being over in the fairway, but being over in the, uh, in the crowd, in the gallery that followed her and, and talking with uh, some kids. So they're really inspirational in that way. Nancy Lopez, of course, is always great. I saw Nancy a couple of years ago stand out in the rain and sign probably a hundred autographs. So wow. that's what you get those ladies they really get yeah it. that's fantastic they're they're happy to have a place to play and and um you know i, I was so happy to see the symmetra tour uh, 
slash Legends Tour event in Fort Myers a couple weeks ago get so much good publicity. Uh, I think that uh, the Legends really added to that event. Dave, for, for people coming to the resort, whether it's to attend the Senior PGA, the LPGA Legends, or like I say, my, my three buddies and I who are planning our annual Guys Golf Trip, what do you want people to know and what they can expect when they come to the French Lick Resort? You know, I, I think we want to make everybody feel really at home. I, I think, uh, you know, I I talk to people all the time who come from Chicago or from St. Louis or from a metropolitan area, and they come there, and, and you know, it, it's uh, the hospitality is, is second to none. Um, Southern Indiana is pretty known for good, friendly people, and I think the golf course, we want you to feel like it's your club, that, it, that it's your home course. And we just do everything we can to make uh, make that happen. Uh, I think people here are really in tune with with um, how they can make the experience special and, and make memories. So that's what we do. That's fantastic. Dave, how how can our listeners get in get more information about the resort? Plus, follow you and the resort over social media. Well, of course, the best spot for for information is at www.frenchlake.com. And then the Senior PGA Championship is uh, www.srpga.com. All the latest updates and, and field uh, field names and how to get tickets and how to be involved are, are all on that website. And then, um, you know, uh, as far as the uh, as far as the social media, we have uh, of course our French Lick uh, Resort. Twitter and Facebook accounts, and then uh, French Lick Resort Golf actually has a separate Facebook account, so you'll be able to get on there. And the great thing about the French Lick Resort Golf site is that we have thousands, thousands of pictures. Uh, you'll be able to really see the golf course uh, like you're there, and also see some of the events and pictures from the events, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. That's great stuff. Dave? Again, for our military personnel and their families, go to pga.com forward slash senior PGA and spell out senior, S-E-N-I-O-R. So pga.com forward slash senior PGA to get more information about how to get your free tickets to this great event. Dave, it has been an absolute privilege to have you back on the show with me again this morning. I hope you'll come back after the tournament because I'd love to hear you know stories about how, how it went and your experiences and all that sort of thing because uh, uh, it's it's going to be – it's a, you know, obviously – the, the resort's fantastic, and, they're, and they're, in the event, the Senior PGA is going to be a wonderful event. But uh, I'm looking forward to hearing about uh, all your stories and experiences from uh, from it. <laughs> well, we we look forward to having that story to tell. And, and one other thing I wanted to say is, you know, I can get I can get French lick off your bucket list very easily. And uh, <laughs> you know, you don't you don't I, have I'm to go to the website. You don't have to go to the website now. to get that information. You know who to call. All right. Very good. Dave, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning. Please give my best to Kim and everyone at the French Lick Resort. I look forward to catching up with you hopefully here in the next few weeks and uh, hear all about it. We'll talk soon. Thank you. All right. Take care, Dave. Dave Harner, let me tell you, I'm serious with you folks. If you haven't looked at it yet and you're you're out and about and you're listening to the show and you haven't had a chance to go to FrenchLick.com, do yourself a favor. Make sure, give yourself a reminder. Go back home, either Google it or look at that site because those three courses are absolutely amazing. And I'm serious, definitely on my bucket list. Got to get there and uh, and get to enjoy, uh, you know, like I say, both 
both the, the, the you know, the Donald Ross and the Pete Dye course for sure are absolutely spectacular. All right. Now joining me on the Seymour Putters guest line is Sports One Marketing CEO and bestselling author, David Meltzer. Dave's book, Connected to Goodness, Manifest Everything You Desire in Business and in Life is flying out of Amazon's warehouses and off shelves and bookstores across the country. He is positively impacting people's lives all over the world through his company, Sports One Marketing, and his partnership with NFL Hall of Famer Warren Moon. And I am not sure there is a person whose schedule is more jam-packed than Dave. So I'm very glad to have him next on the team with me again this morning. Dave, how are you, my friend? Oh, I'm doing great. It's so nice to hear your voice, buddy, and uh, glad to be on the show. Glad to have you. And Dave, I wanted to start out this morning getting your thoughts first about the uh, the passing of uh, of a guy who's probably underrated in PGA Tour history, and that's Calvin Pete. I had a great deal of respect for you know for his game and for what he was able to achieve with a with a broken arm that was you know improperly set that affected the mobility of that arm. He didn't let that stop him. He was always one of the most accurate drivers on tour. Had 12 wins out there. A Varden Trophy winner for low scoring average back in in 1984. Just kind of wanted to get your thoughts and and uh, uh, what you. Uh, how you feel about the you know the loss of, uh, of of one of the legends of the tour? You know, I'm glad you brought that up because it's so significant both to Warren and I. Uh, obviously, Warren being the first black uh, quarterback into the Hall of Fame, both Canadian and U.S. Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, Calvin Pete was the most successful African American golfer before Tiger Woods. Uh, unfortunately, he died of lung cancer. Grew up really poor. Um, he changed the face of golf along with Lee Elder. Uh, who was the first African-American to play in the Masters, uh, facing death threats in a variety of different racist and discriminatory practices that were unfortunate in our country at the time. Uh, and people I don't think realize, you know, I've surrounded myself with these circumstances for so long, you know, what these people that challenge the true beliefs of our society in order to make changes for the future generations, guys like Tiger Woods, that not only are accepted as golfers, but but elevated and rejoiced uh, still is the most popular golfer in the world, as we saw at the Masters, regardless of whether they win or not. But the most significant thing about Calvin Pete, for everyone, no matter what color we are, what race, religion, or what our beliefs are, is that Calvin Pete, who grew up extremely poor, didn't start playing golf until he was 23 years old. And I talk about this in my book, and I talk about this on my speaking tour, is that we limit ourselves so many times with these societal regulations and beliefs that we can't do whatever we desire. And as you know, the subtitle of my book is Manifest Everything You Desire in Life and Business. And, you know, I meet people 50 years old that come up to me and say, oh, Dave, you're you're throwing the first pitch out at the Angel game on Tuesday. You have my dream job. I can't believe, I wish I was, you know, I'm sitting here as a lawyer or an accountant. I wish I worked in sports. And I think to myself, why don't you? Right, If Calvin Pete, at the age of 23, imagine at 23, waking up in the morning and saying, geez, you know what, I want to be a professional golfer. And not only did he become a professional golfer, but he was on the top 10 list for 20 weeks. The man won 12 PGA Tour events. That's more than just a golfer. 
And so I utilize Calvin Pete as an icon for everyone out there, no matter what age you are, to wake up in the morning and decide what you want to manifest for yourself and go out and imagine it, become inspired, and then take the appropriate action, work hard, have the right discipline, strategy, and understanding, and you can do whatever you desire. So thank you so much for uh, bringing up Calvin Pete, and he will be missed, but I think he'll be remembered more than he will be missed. There you go. Hey, let's also talk a minute about the, the WGC match play tournament that's going on. What do you think about this year's setup? They kind of they've got they went away from seeds and now we're into player pools. What do you think about that shift in uh, in the tournament setup? You know, I think with the breadth of the field, you know, we we have this trend where we have new winners every week, you know, uh, and we have these young stars. We have the Jordan Spieths and the Fowlers, and you know, all these great. Uh, great young talents and then we have the the older guys that show up all the time you know the Mickelson's Woods and and you know all there's so many great golfers that I think it's great for TV interest and for the game to keep as many of these players in even if they have a bad round and as you know uh, from the regular tour that one bad round doesn't mean uh, that you're not going to win the tournament so I think they've kind of aligned themselves with that idea that this is golf and uh, everybody can't shoot a 66 every day. And so that uh, with the pool play, it gives more players a chance to win, keeps more interest into the WGC, and I think it's a really, really brilliant move. Paul Casey is a, is a guy who has rejuvenated his game so far this year. He's playing well in the WGC. Jim Furyk also continuing his strong play this this year. Lee Westwood has come on. Gary Woodland has had, you know, you know, Nice three surprising wins, if you if you ask me, over Jimmy Walker, Ian Poulter, and Webb Simpson. McElroy and Fowler are playing strong, as you would have imagined. Who do you like to come out of this tournament as the winner? You know, I like Rory. I, I just think uh, he's still, talent-wise, maybe the best golfer. Uh, and, and I think when he's on, like it looks like he is, uh, that he'll have that subtlety of success. And uh, he, he has a mental focus, this balance and confidence, uh, that most of the players don't have. When push comes to shove, as you've seen ever since the blow-up at Augusta the first time, you know he's really shown that he can handle the pressure, and when it comes down to it in match play, that's what it's about. We all know that Tiger Woods is the greatest match play player of all time. If you look in the collegiate record book as well as the PGA Tour, uh, yeah, he's an amazing match play, and I think Rory has that same, uh, excuse the pun, eye of the tiger, and, and my money would be on Rory. All right. Although most of my money's on Mayweather tonight, so I, if I have a little bit left. I have a little bit left. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going over to the fight uh, after my son's T-ball game, and uh I think it'll be quite a spectacle, and I'll, I'll wait for the rematch, though. You, you heard it here first. I'm sure everyone realizes this is a great setup for a $200 million purse uh, for, for a rematch, no matter who wins. Right. Dave, as I said uh, in your intro, you're you're one of the busiest men on the planet. You're always flying here and there. You've got a lot of events you guys are, are a part of and doing, and, and, and you, you do so many good things for charities out there. Talk about you know, some of the things that you're currently working on and then uh, where some of our listeners might be able to run into you and have an opportunity to meet you, plus uh, maybe get uh, their copy of Connected to Goodness Sign. 
Absolutely. We, uh, you know, we're, we're focused a lot on golf right now. Uh, we have the Irvine Public School Foundation Golf Tournament, which takes place at Strawberry Farms on June 4th. Uh, we have uh, 18 or more of the biggest names uh, and celebrities that uh, are there. So you have Marshall Falk and, and uh, John Randall and Warren Moon, uh, you know, just to name a few of these guys. We've got Grant Furyk. So uh, all the different sports are represented. We're going to have and raise money for scholarships uh, that Crescent Moon Foundation, Warren's Foundation, gives to these kids at Irvine, which is our backyard. So it's really important to us. And then uh, just personally, today's a a huge, exciting day. We're launching the the Meltzer Mission at MeltzerMission.com. We have a 30-day gratitude challenge to uh, change your life simply by saying thank you or thinking thank you before you go to bed and when you wake up. And it's a simple thing to do. Got to do it 30 days. We have a a nice chart there to help you facilitate making positive changes in your life. Uh, It's been really exciting. Obviously, the book is still going well, as you've so graciously supported over uh, the last few months, and I certainly appreciate that. But um, go to MeltzerMission.com, sign up for the 30-Day Gratitude Challenge, come out and support our backyard, this uh, Irvine Public School Foundation Golf Tournament, and anything we can do for you, just contact us at sportsonemarketing.com. And, Chris, we love this show. We love you. Anything we can do for you, please let me know. I appreciate that, Dave, uh, very much. Once again, the book is Connected to Goodness. You can find it online at connectedtogoodness.com as well as on amazon.com. Dave, thank you for joining me this morning. I always look forward to the to the opportunity to talk with you. and We get to do it every week on the football side on our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate. And I look forward to doing it again here next month on Next on the T. Anytime, anywhere, you are the best. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful weekend. All right, you do the same, Dave. We'll catch up soon. Thanks. Take care. You too. Dave Meltzer, again, Connected to Goodness. That book is absolutely fantastic, folks. So you hear me talk about it all the time on Thursday Night Tailgate. It's a book that you're going to refer back to time and time again over the course of your life. It's not just one that you read once and put down. So many great principles to learn from on there. So, again, check it out. Connected to Goodness. You can find it on Amazon.com and on ConnectedToGoodness.com as well. All right, now back with me on the Seymour Putters guest line is one of my all-time favorite guests on any show, and that's PGA Tour pro Paul Stankowski. Let me remind you a little bit about Paul's background. He's from Oxnard, California, started playing golf at the age of eight. He attended the University of Texas at El Paso, where he was a three-time All-American and won the Western Athletic Conference Championship in 1990. Turned pro in 91, his, pro, his first pro victory came on what's now the nationwide tour was the Nike tour back then at the 1996 Nike Louisiana Open. He backed that up by winning the very next week on the PGA Tour at the Bell South Classic, becoming the only golfer in history to win on the nationwide tour and then the PGA Tour in back-to-back weeks. In all, Paul has seven professional victories and 31 top 10 finishes, and I'm always excited to have him and have a lot of fun having him here with me next on the T in the mornings. Uh, Paul, thank you so much, my friend, for being a part of the show again. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me on. So, so Paul, I always like to you know start off because your father uh, had a military background. How's your dad doing? Uh, my dad's doing really good. He's, uh, he's recovered from his knee surgery. He's had a couple replacements on the same knee. So it's been a rough Wow. Oh, less than two years. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been kind of a nightmare scenario there for for dad. But he uh, 
you know, he's still dealing with some swelling in it, but he's got his range of motion and, and uh, this final surgery, I think has, has done the trick. Now let, let's hope so. God bless him. And yeah, it's, Paul, it's been also, rough. It's tough, tough to see your parents uh, go, go through that kind of thing, but dad's a, he's a tough, tough old guy. And, and uh, you know, he's always been a hard worker that generation. He's 85 years old. Uh, I think it's the greatest, uh, most hardworking uh, folks on the planet. I, I, I you know, we need to, to take after or take more after them. Uh, this generation I'm in right now is, uh, and behind us is kind of a nightmare. <laughs> right. So, Paul, I now you know, from a third, now down to a third generation. I, I saw your son Josh is starting to play junior golf. Is uh, he is he enjoying being part of the the junior golf tournaments? He, you know, he loves it. It's it's a uh, Josh is. Uh, it took him a while to to really fall in love with the game of golf. I, you know, all the while I didn't. When he was little, I didn't want him to play golf. I I really uh, would prefer he play baseball, uh, which he did, uh, starting at five years old and and played. Uh, till he was nine, uh, and when they started going to select ball, uh, he wasn't good enough to, to make select teams, and so he he uh, he played rec for a couple more years, and then uh, finally said, "Dad, I want to try golf." And and he had he had always been around the game, obviously, and he had an amazing little golf swing. At you know, as soon as he could stand, and and uh, I used to catch wiffle balls in the backyard. He would just fire his little plastic five wood at me, um, and he was automatic. I mean, it was crazy how good it was. I, I thought he was, I was looking at a little Tiger Woods when he was two and, and, uh, you know, secretly, uh, looking forward to the day I could be his agent and rake in the big bucks, but, uh, <laughs> he, baseball kind of jacked up his golf swing a little bit. And, and, uh, but now he's, you know, he's still got a really good swing. He's just learning, you know, Josh has gone through a lot of, um, uh, learning issues. He's got, uh, he was born with a thing called uh, verbal apraxia, which is a fine motor skill that, that affected the the pathway between the brain and the mouth, and and he didn't speak until he was four years old, and and it carried on. Even today, he's he's still has some speech issues, uh, which are slowly going away. But uh, uh, I think it carried on too from a uh, just processing aspects, and and uh, so the light switch hasn't come on yet uh, in his golf game. Although he looks the part, uh, he dresses the part. You know, he's got a great swing. He can hit all the shots. Uh, on call, he just can't do it repetitively. <laughs> so, it, what's funny, Chris, is that I watch him play, and I'm, I'm so used to watching professionals hit the ball that I'm expecting him to hit it like a pro. And and it takes me a while to realize, wait, he's 15. He he's not even close <laughs> to there yet. So, I'm, it's a learning process for his dad for sure, trying to figure out how to how to just be an encouragement to him. And and uh, I don't want to discourage him at all. So, I try to be his biggest his biggest. Uh, fan and, and cheerleader and at the same time try and help him with you know the management side of the game of golf not not really the golf swing because although i can i can spot a bad swing i have no idea how to fix one <laughs> I'm, I'm curious though you mentioned at the at the beginning of that story that you, you you didn't encourage him to play golf you wanted him to play baseball why didn't you want to encourage him to play golf yeah you know i didn't want him to have any pressure to follow in my footsteps and and uh yeah. you know that was that was really it you know i, I plus i love baseball <laughs> i was kind of i was <laughs> sitting in the stands and and uh you know eating a hot dog and and eating peanuts and and watching uh you know uh, just that our favorite pastime you know and so i i i had dreams of playing in in the uh in the major leagues when i was a kid although i never played little league oddly enough but uh 
you know, so that's why. And, uh, but now that he loves the game, it's, it's his dream now. It's his passion. And, and it's crazy enough that he wants to be like me, which is really funny. And I'm like, what, what, retired? <laughs> you want to be retired and, and out of shape? And he's like, dad. So it's, uh, but he does love it. He goes, with, he would go, he would go to school in his white belt if, uh, if I let him, but I don't let him. So uh, I try to, I try to make him dress down on his way to school and he can always change in the parking lot on his way to practice afterwards. There you go. Paul, we're we're a couple of weeks post the Masters and a week away from the from the Players Championship, and I wanted to kind of talk to you about your experiences and reflections on on those two events. And I'll we'll start at at the Masters. You, you finished tied for fifth at the Masters in 1997, and if it wasn't for some kid named Tiger Woods who lapped the field that year, it might have been a heck of a fight to the finish in that final round between you and Tom Kite and Tom Watson and Fred Couples, Colin Montgomery. We talked a little bit about a moment ago, and Constantino Roca, you know, all finished within a couple of strokes of one another. And on Sunday, for you going out there, was was there a sense, since Tiger Woods was so far ahead, that it was just a, a leisurely round of golf because there wasn't really any pressure to win? Or was there still a battle going on for, you know, finishing in the top five because there's still a fair amount of money on the line at that point? Well, for starters, the fact that you just mentioned my name, that's Tom Watson and Tom Kite and Colin Montgomery, um, you know, that's a, that's a thrill. You know, sometimes I forget that, that I actually did play out there on the tour and, and competed at that level. Uh, so it's fun to, fun to reminisce. But um, as far as that last round, you know, I was paired with Tom Kite, who was our Ryder Cup captain for that, that next year. And, and uh, uh, I knew that I needed to put on a good show for him on Sunday uh, because I was on the bubble. And uh, I was close. I think maybe even at that time I might have been, you know, one of the last guys in the Ryder Cup standings. And uh, or I was right on the on the bubble anyway. And so I knew that if I was going to finish on the outside, chances are I was going to get, you know, picked over overlooked uh, by uh, you know a veteran. And um, and it turns out I shot two over par. So there was a lot of pressure on me. And I didn't. I guess I didn't handle the. The, the pressure well I, I got off to a poor start and and uh I think I played the par fives one over par on Sunday which for a guy of my length back in the day uh that's that's disastrous on that golf course and um so it was a disappointing uh finish for me uh the exciting part is that I, I did get to uh to be paired with Tom Kite I got to, we were in the second to last group I got to play right in front of Tiger and, and Costantino Roca and um you know just being in the in the hunt and walking up 18 on Sunday uh, that close to that last group um, to hear the applause. And I mean, I, I dreamt as a kid, Chris, of playing in the masters. I, it, it was a, it was a distant dream, but when I was, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old watching on TV on Sunday, you know, uh, it was a dream, you know? And so to actually have been able to live that dream and, and to get really close to um, every, every boy who plays golf dream of winning the masters. Yeah. I, I, uh, obviously it was 18 shots behind tiger or whatever it was, 16 shots. And, um, but like I say, I was a few shots from finishing second, which in his words, second sucks, but I'd have taken it in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and to that point, Paul, when you're in the, the next to last group and you're paired with a guy like Tom kite, 
you know, and, and really kind of experiencing the day and sort of experiencing, right, the, the, the formal coming out party of Tiger Woods when we all knew who Tiger was through amateur golf and how great he was. But really, you know, that's sort of the crowning, I guess, of, you know, the next great player. You, you, you were in prime position to experience all of that. What was that like? It was, uh, you know, I, I too knew who Tiger Woods was, and and uh, you know, I'm involved with a ministry called College Golf Fellowship, so I'm pretty much in tune with what's going on in college. And so when he was, uh, when he before he was in college, we we knew who he was. I, you know, as a Southern California native myself, um, I heard the whispers of this this young guy that was, you know, six years younger than me or, or five years, whatever it was. And um, and then when he went to Stanford, you know, I was well aware of what was going on there. I was good friends with Casey Martin, uh, who was on that team, and uh, met, you know, Casey through, uh, playing with them. And, uh, so it was, uh, it was fun to watch. And when Tiger obviously came out onto the tour, um, I, I predicted he was going to win five times and $2 million his rookie year. And I was pretty close, uh, <laughs> to, to, to getting that, but, uh, he, he was, he was special. And, and what made him special is how long he hit it. Now, John Daly was also hitting it really long at that time. And, um, but we all knew there was something a little bit different with Tiger that, you know, he had the ability to do things that, that uh, not many people back then could and, and, uh, or, or consistently anyway. And, um, you know, the, the, so that was a lot of fun to be in that mix. I'm sure it was a lot of fun for those guys. I got, I got paired with Tiger a few times, but never battled him really head to head uh, down the stretch of any tournament. I don't think I was ever paired with him on a weekend. Um, but, uh, you know, I was 10 footer away on uh, in 97 to, to get paired with him on Sunday at the masters. But, um, it was fun. I mean, anytime you get to play against uh, the best player uh, in that sport uh, is awesome. I don't, I don't care who it is, and you get matched head to head. It's got to be, um, you know, one of the coolest things as an athlete. Um, you know, the, the, those people who start who play the tour ten years from now that'll never get a chance to have played with Tiger. You know, they'll they'll be somebody else. They'll be you know they'll be talking like this about you know Rory or Jordan and. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Tiger was awesome. And it's so great to see him back, uh, playing again. He actually looks a lot, uh, he looked a lot better at the masters this year than he did the few events leading up to that. Um, but, uh, I, I hope that he can, uh, right the ship and, and, uh, start contending more frequently. And, uh, I think it's great for the game. You know, obviously his time is, is almost passed as is Phil, you know, there's, there's still a little gas in the tank for those guys. And, there's no question they're going to contend uh, for, you know, a handful of majors the rest of their career, um, you know, may or may not win one, but they're going to contend and, and they'll win their fair of regular tournaments, but their time is, is, uh, is come and it's almost gone. And, and the new generation of golf is golfer is, uh, is on the way. And we're seeing some great stuff from, from Jordan and, and Rory. And, and then there's a bunch of other guys that we, I hope we don't get stuck into the same problem. We, we, we uh, found ourselves in 10 years ago when we were only talking about the big five, Ernie and BJ and Phil Tiger and whoever, David Duvall, I guess, or Fjork or whoever that fifth guy was. But, um, you know, I hope that, that uh, we don't just talk always about Rory and, and, and Jordan. I hope there's other guys that emerge and I'd love to see there's, you know, 15 guys that week in, week out are battling. And, you know, one week Rory's going to win one week, Jordan, one week, Jimmy, one week, Patrick, one week, you know, whoever there's a there's a 12 year old right now that that in in 10 years is going to be amazing, and uh, we don't know uh, what his name is yet, but he's out there, and we know it. History proves it that uh, you know every every 10 years or so there's someone else that's coming along that uh, that's pretty pretty special. 
you mentioned you know getting to play with Jack a, a moment ago, and you know when you came back to the Masters in '98 and, and you finished tied for 39th that year, that was the year Mark O'Meara won the tournament. For for all the incredible accomplishments that Mr. Nicholas had over the course of his career, even though he didn't win in '98, at age 58. He finished tied for six, two strokes better, by the way, than Tiger Woods that year. You were tied for second after the first round that next year. And if it wasn't for a bad second round, you, you might have been right back in the mix there again as well. What do you remember from the 98 tournament? Uh, I, I do remember um, to a nice start. Uh, I've done that two years in a row. I did that in 97 as well. And, uh, and I believe that was the year that John Houston hold it. And it might, might have been the year before, but uh, – uh, I believe I was paired with Freddie and uh, Jose Maria the second round, uh, which was also a dream pairing. Are you kidding me? I mean, <laughs> that was pretty darn cool. Uh, and I played poorly, but uh, I think I made a 25-footer a on the last hole uh, for birdie to make the cut on the number. And uh, the cool thing is when I finished early on Sunday, I heard the roars. And, and, you know, I think if I remember correctly, Jack may have eagled eight possibly, or he birdied eight. He made a putt. And I remember hearing the roar and, uh, that was really cool because I, there again, Jack was, he was done playing full time when I was a kid or on the, on the end of it. And I was a Tom Watson fan, but uh, getting to hear the Jack Nicholas roar at Augusta, I mean, it was amazing. Cause I remember the 86 open watching it on TV and, and uh, so it's cool. I'm a golf fan. You know, I'm not a huge historian. I don't remember a ton of, of uh, you know, past, you know, winners and and i do remember some of the opens and some of the big events that i watched on tv but to me i i was a big picture guy I just took it all in and and uh but you know obviously getting to watch jack play i got paired with jack one time in a skins game um at uh at the memorial with him and watson and gary player so the four of us are playing wow. nine old skins game that was uh, i i wish there was video i mean come on man why why couldn't cell phones have been invented back then <laughs> and uh I, I could have had those guys and 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 beating them. I won more skins than they did. So that was pretty cool. But, Is that right? um, but that Sunday, Oh yeah, that was, and, and Jack kind of, uh, on the ninth hole, I think I'd won seven skins in nine holes. And, uh, he, on nine Gary players hit the ball out of the bunker. And I'm trying to watch Gary hit out of the bunker because he's the best bunker player in all in, in the history of golf, you know? And, and he, right. Jack comes over, he's like, Paul, he says, Paul, uh, uh, the fellas, they were going to donate uh, their winnings back to, uh, back to the charity, you know, so no pressure, but I uh, just wanted to let you know. And I was like, ah, oh, man, I wanted to, I wanted to keep that check and put it on my wall. And uh, so I, I, I donated it back in the charity. I should probably bring that up one day if I wanted an exemption into Memorial that I, cause I'm, I'm never going to qualify go. on my own anymore. So, but, but that was pretty funny. And, and uh, so it's just a neat deal. But so that, that Sunday was, was special here in the roars and, and him finishing six at 58 years old um, probably rivals, Tom Kite or Tom Watson, you know, uh, losing in a playoff to Stewie at, uh, at the Open Championship. Right. But uh, pretty, pretty neat stuff for a for a you know kid who grew up watching the legend of, of Jack uh, on TV. Do you have a picture of the you know of the of that foursome with you and the with the other three guys? Nothing. I don't. I'm sure there's probably nothing? one in in existence. I have nothing. I got nothing. Um, I have no picture. No. Uh, I mean, there were thousands of people. It was on Wednesday, or yeah, it was on Tuesday or Wednesday. I think it was Wednesday. Uh, so it's there. There were two groups. I was supposed to have been in the group in front, which was like Duval, Azinger, Tom Lehman, and uh, I don't know somebody else, Lee Jansen or somebody. And and I was late. 
uh, my flight was late, so they stuck me in the second group, and I got stuck with Watson Player and, and Nicholas. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a picture around somewhere. I just never got one, and and that's the thing. When I was playing, I you know what I, I thought it was going to last forever, and I never uh, I don't know I. I I wish I had stopped a little bit more to smell the roses along the way because uh, as long as I played out there, it 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 seems like it was just a dream, you know. It was a uh, just a, a vapor, and every time I try to remember it, it just slowly vanishes. I have to look at pictures to go, oh yeah, I remember that. And um, it, it's uh, yeah, I wish I had done a better job at, at just enjoying the moment. If that, if I had any advice, if I could give to these young guys out there, I would say just soak it in, you know. Soak it in. It, it, things go by so fast, and, and life, uh, you know, all you're given is today, and and uh, you know, everybody on that tour is one injury away from from retirement, and uh, you know, it, it's a that's a scary thing. But when you're in the in the moment, you feel invincible. You think it's going to last forever, and and you just kind of live day to day. And um, you know, I'm sure I can find a photo somewhere. There's got to be an archive out there, or even a video hey. clip. And um, I had a three footer for Eagle. Uh, I forget what hole it is. A par five on the front nine, probably five or I think it's five, and a really cool hole with a creek left of the green. And I hit a three wood in there, three feet, and I've got this eagle putt, and they're all standing right around me and right around the hole, just dogging me, like, "Come on, rookie, come on, little, come on, kid," and and uh, and I made it. I was so nervous, man. My hands were shaking. I made. I couldn't get the ball in the hole when I made it. But uh, like, I wish uh, there's got to be a picture of that somewhere. That would be. That'd be amazing, but I, you know, I was so out of place there. But it was such a a cool feeling. What was the year again? Nineteen. It was ninety seven. Yeah, it was the year I. I it was my. It was my career, <laughs> my year, uh, <laughs> my my good year, uh, in all of them. But uh, yeah, right. ninety seven. If anyone's got a picture of the nineteen ninety seven skins game at the memorial, please shoot it to. Shoot it to Paul and find him on Facebook or over on Twitter. Got to get that picture. That's now a mission. That's on my list of things to do is find a picture from that from that event. We'll find it for you, Paul. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> so we got just a couple of minutes left, and I want to get uh, a couple of other things in with you. At the, at the 2004 Players' Championship, you, you made a heck of a charge in the third round. You carded a six under par 66. You birdied the last four holes in that round. Take us through what it was like playing at uh, at that T- at that uh, Players' Championship and on the TPC Sawgrass. Well, I, first of all, I love TPC Sawgrass, and, and um, I haven't played it since they moved it a little later in the year, but I, I love playing golf on overseeded uh, Bermuda, so we're rye uh, overseeds, and uh, it just, uh, to me, it looks amazing. It's so green and rich and lush, and um, that tournament, so, you know, I, I call it our fifth major because it's, you know, it's our tournament, it's our major, right. and, and uh, the field there is amazing. Uh, everybody's there. Um, I don't remember a whole lot from uh, from the round. Um, I do remember I almost made an ace on 17. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know how it didn't go in, but it was ended up like an inch away. And, wow. Um, I, I, I remember playing, I think I played with Greg Norman that week. It might have even been on Sunday, and I didn't have a good Sunday. But uh, no, I mean that 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 I love the finishing holes there, 16, 17, 18. There's so much that can happen, so much drama. It's fun to watch on TV, let alone get to play in it. And um, you know, 15 is an amazing. It's a difficult par four, and, and 16 is a par five that you can make, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, on it, which is cool. 17 obviously is the nightmare, um, you know. Uh, 
anything can happen there. And, and 18, that tee shot, as a, as a guy who cuts the ball, um, there's two tee shots on the PGA Tour that, that really got my attention and, and also really uh, got my juices falling. That was 18 at Sawgrass and 18 at Pebble. Um, because as a cutter, I've got to start the ball over the water. Uh, in order to have a shot, I could not hit a draw to save my life back in the day, and and uh, draws only happened on accident. And so obviously on that tee, I'm hoping I didn't have an accident. Um, and uh, <laughs> so it, it was always fun to just pick a great spot, uh, whether it was a a red stake along the water's edge or you know a, a part of the grandstand up by the green that I could start it at and cut it over. And, and uh, you know the left pin there on uh, on Sunday, back left pin or even the front left pin. I had to, if I wanted to fire at the pin, I've got to start it, you know, a little bit left of the hole and, and trust that my ball is going to cut. And, and uh, I love those moments. You know, it's great to, to be able to step up there um, and, and hit a shot knowing that, you know, evil, evil lurks, disaster lurks. If you, if you just <laughs> get a little bit more quiet with your lower body, it's not going to cut. And uh, so it's always fun to step up on those holes when I had the courage to do so, which I didn't have it all the time, but, um, and to aim it out there and trust it. Uh, it was fun, and obviously, birdie in the last four holes there that day uh, put me in a really good spot to to have a chance to to win an event that obviously is a uh, you know a special event on the PGA Tour, and and uh, you know I I folded like a like a cheap shirt on Sunday, but uh, but it was it was fun. And you talk about the 17th. I had uh, Donnie Hammond on the show with me last week, and he's a guy who played his college golf at Jacksonville University. And we were talking about the 17th hole in the Island green. And I asked him, you know, due to the circumstances, right, the tournament play and the situation is, is that the most stressful tee shot in golf? And he said, even though it's only a nine iron shot, you know, sometimes even down to a wedge because of the tournament pressure and the wind conditions, it really can be one of the most stressful, you know, tee shots in golf. Do you feel, I mean, you have a guy, you hit it an inch away. Do you feel additional stress? You know, I mean, the playing a tournament in the tour is stressful enough. But do you feel a little added when you're walking up to the 17th tee? Yeah, the the walk is the worst part, you know, because it's a long walk from 16 green to 17 tee, and you're walking through all the people, and and it's they're all cheering for you, and you've already, you know, when you're on your second shot on 16, you're looking at 17 green. It's so it's like you're playing 16, <laughs> and then you're walking, and but then once you get on the tee box, I mean, the the the, the biggest obstacle guys have to get over. Uh, or get past on the PGA Tour is is their own thoughts. And if if we can take our thoughts and focus on exactly what we want to happen in this moment, then we're not thinking about what could happen, right? What what might happen if, or or the the dreaded water or whatever. So on that hole, you're really focused. I I, I don't care what pin it is. You should be looking in the exact same spot, dead center of the green. Uh, the pin's in the back, you're trying to land it just on top of the ridge. The pin's in the front, you're trying to land it just short of the ridge. Um, but there's probably a 10-foot circle that you're trying to land it on for any pin on that hole, and, and which makes it a simple shot. Obviously, where fear creeps in is, is, you know, well, obviously being afraid of hitting it in the water. But, you know, most people, if it's calm, can hit a pitching wedge or a 9-iron on that green without blinking if they're aiming directly in the center of the green and hitting a confident shot. But um, but fear creeps in, and, and that's the thing that sometimes uh, – well, the best players in the world have the ability to take fear and eliminate it by just focusing on where they want the ball to go. And it's as simple as that. It's not easy uh, at all, but it's simple. You've got to fo- you can't focus on two things at one time, period. I can't think of an apple and an orange perfectly clearly at the same time, right? You're, you can't. Right. So 
uh, you can see them both, but they're both blurry. And so if you're focused on, oh, crap, I, I could hit this in the water and make a triple, or I could do what Len Matisse did, and, and you know, uh, that's that's tragic, and it's going to probably end poorly for you. Um, and if it doesn't there, it's probably going to end on the 18th hole. <laughs> so you, you've got to just <laughs> dial in and focus on where you want the ball to go on that hole, just like every shot. You know, I mean, honestly – there's more trouble that lurks there, but you have a nine air. Now when the wind's blowing uh, and it's downwind or dead into the wind, I mean, it's tough because it's added, added pressure and added uh, distraction. But, you know, you play your whole life on the PGA Tour trying to limit uh, your mistakes, and the best way to do so is to focus on where I want this ball to go. And the more you focus on that and, and dial into a small target, a, 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 um, uh, a definitive thought, um, then, you know, then the distractions kind of blur away. Um, but that's why the walk was always troubling because I didn't know how far I was. So I couldn't focus on, on what club to hit or how I was hitting it until I got a number. You know, that's, that's the whole process for me is once that yardage book comes out and I start adding up my yardages, I start looking at the wind, calculating what it's going to do, calculating what the green's going to do. Is it soft? Is it going to spin? Where I want this ball to land based on all those things. If I'm, if I'm thinking about that whole process, Chris, figure out, okay, exactly what shot and, and how far I need to hit this club. Once I've done that, if I've done that properly, I've forgotten about all the elements. I've forgotten about the people and, and the, the situation at hand. You know, but if you get up there and you're just looking and you're going, oh, my gosh, that green, is, and it, it starts all of a sudden getting smaller and smaller and smaller right. and your palms get sweaty and, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's tough. So that's why you've got to focus on what is in front of you. What do I have? How far do I have? What do I have to that crest? Okay, well, the wind's helping five yards. So if I got 138 to the, to the crest and it's helping five yards, it's 133. Um, all right, it's playing 133. That's a pitching wedge. And then I, I look, okay, i got to aim at eight feet right of the pin because the wind's blowing 15 miles an hour off the right. It's going to hold. I, I'm looking at all those things. And the more you can focus on what you need to do, you're not thinking about the people. So it, it sounds really easy coming out of my mouth right now, but it's really difficult when you're in the, in the mix and, and there's, you know, 15,000 <laughs> people around that green staring at you, the red lights on the camera, you know, Gary McCord right. chuckling and giggling because he knows you're nervous and, and, you know, the whole deal. So it's, uh, it's fun, man. I, I, I love, I, I love looking back at it because I hated that moment, man. I, 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 I didn't, I'm, I'm a kind of guy that, I just wanted to go play and, and try to enjoy the moment. But when the moment got really crazy and, and nervy, I, I just hated it. I, I wanted it over. You know, I was able to focus and do the things I needed to do. I don't think I – I didn't hit too many shots during my career uh, when I wasn't clear. I did a very good job at, at coming up with a clear uh, picture and a, and a period or an exclamation point at the end of my thought. Uh, there was very little question marks or, or, you know, dot, dot, dots. It was – I needed to put a period on it. Uh, to wrap up my thought and my and the idea and, and hit it, but it was that whole thing. I just got so, I I didn't like. I uh, just it it wore me out. At the end of the day, I would sit on my bed and I would sink in and go get comatose back in the hotel room watching Sports Center uh, nineteen times. <laughs> That's a great story, Paul. One last one before we let you go. I'd be remiss with you know you're a big Cowboys fan. We got the NFL draft going on so how do you feel about you know who the cowboys have drafted and as we uh, look forward to the uh the fourth fifth and sixth round well I, i'm excited obviously the cowboys last year 
looked like a, a team on a mission and, and they looked a lot better. And, um, you know, Tony, I, I think has been a great quarterback for a long time and he's completely, uh, he gets dogged all the time for not winning. And, and, uh, but they, they had a pretty crappy, uh, program. They had, you know, the, the team wasn't very good for a long time and, and without Tony, they would have been horrible. Um, DeMarco Murray last year was, was phenomenal. But the big thing was the offensive line. I think you and I probably could have rushed for a thousand yards behind that line. Um, last year, those guys are, are great. And, and as a Cowboys fan, looking at those teams of the nineties, uh, they had a great offensive line. And, and so finally it was great the last five years to start seeing Jerry and, and his, his, you know, uh, management start drafting smartly and they built a great offensive line. I, I love seeing, uh, the defensive help that they got here early in the, in the first, second, third round. And, and, uh, even kind of potentially shoring up a, maybe a, a little bit of a, um, uh, fail safe on uh, the offensive line. Just kind of, you never know injuries happen in a heartbeat. So it's kind of nice to have a little bit of depth. So um, right. I, I love it. We've, we've obviously lacked on the defensive side of the ball. We, we have a hard time stopping the pass and uh, you know, uh, outside linebacker. Uh, there's, there's, there's things that, be, uh, that need to be done, but the bottom line is I don't care what the names are on the back of that Jersey. These guys have got to buy into the system and they got to perform and, and, uh, Nick Saban is, is I'm a huge Nick Saban fan, uh, mainly because of the type of coach he is. I, I don't know what kind of person he is. I've never met the guy. And, and, and people, if you're from LSU, you hate him. If you're from Tennessee, you hate him. If you're from any other school in the SEC, you hate him. If you're Alabama, you love him. But as a sports right. fan, watching him work, he gets every one of those kids on his program to buy into the fact that if they individually do their job, they will win the national championship. They will be successful if each of them do their job. It's no nonsense. You don't see a lot of stupidity coming from this team. And when it does happen, he sits their butt down. Uh, there's a lot of discipline. And so if these guys buy into a system, they're successful. And so if, we, if, if the Cowboys can buy into the system, you know, whatever that is, um, and as far as Jason Garrett, you know, if they can keep stacking good plays on top of good plays on top of good plays, in this football team, it's a football game. It's a football program. They can put good football plays. They're going to have a good football season. So, <laughs> that's, if uh, and if they do that, it's great. It is very simple. Just like we talk about in golf, if the focus is on what you want to do and execution, um, the results will happen. And so, the Cow- Dallas Cowboys, they have got themselves in a great spot. They have a, a good program getting better. They got a good quarterback that's healthy. Hopefully, Tony's still healthy. Uh, their offensive line, if they can stay healthy. Uh, I think whatever running back they put in there by committee, hopefully, uh, will be successful. And if they can, you know, the defensive end of the ball, if they can pick up a little bit more, um, I think it could be a really fun year for the Dallas Cowboys. There you go. Paul, your your company, Francis Edwards, sells some amazing exotic leather goods. Update us on how things are going at Francis Edwards. You know, we're plugging along and, and uh, gaining a presence uh, around the coast and, um, in pro shops, and it's been a lot of fun. It's obviously we're a small company; we're still a couple of years into it, and and uh, but I really uh, I'm enjoying the, the relationships that we've built uh, with our clubs that that are carrying our product, and and um, you know I'm looking forward to a fun summer doing member guests, and um, yeah, it's it's great. So I, I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing you know how we grow, and and uh, but ideally we just want to service our customer right, and and. Uh, Love working with the clubs that we, we currently have on board. Great. I'll remind our listeners how they can follow you both online and over social media. 
Well, I'm at, I'm at, at Paul Stankowski on Twitter. Um, our our uh, Francis Edward website is at Francis Edward underscore. Uh, Facebook, we're Francis Edward USA. And um, my cell phone number is, I'm just kidding. I won't give you that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Paul, thank you so much for being generous with your time and coming back on the show with me again this morning. Like I've said so many times, both on this show and over social media, my dream fivesome, my father, you, Bob Friend Jr., Eric Johnson, because I think that would not only be a, uh, a fantastic round of golf, but it would be so much fun to hang out with you know, you and those guys. Uh, uh, something that uh, is a dream of mine. Hopefully we get the opportunity at some point. But uh, I thank you for being a part of the show. You're always so fantastic. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on, and, and uh, we'll, we'll get that uh, that round of golf dialed in here someday soon. All right. Take care, Paul. I look forward to catching up with you again real soon. All the best to you. Anytime, family. Chris. Thank you. you All too. right. Take care, Paul. Bye. Paul Stankowski, I'm telling you folks, doesn't get better than Paul Stankowski. What what great stories. I always love to listen to Paul tell stories. He is a, he is a fantastic storyteller. All right, folks, before we close up shop, I want to remind you about a great book from another set of our friends, Dave Stockton, Dave Stockton Jr. It's called Own Your Game. If you're starting to get your game going physically, trying to get the rust off of that sort of thing, uh, remember, so much of the game, like Paul just said, is played between that five-inch space between your ears. Get your mind right. And this latest book, the Stockton, uh, lets you know how to play winning golf through the power of the mind. Own Your Game recreates the experience of riding 18 holes with Dave Stockton at one of his highly sought-after corporate outings and draws experience from his, uh, you know, from his you know, career being a champion uh, player both on the regular tour and the champion tour, plus you know, a, re- a revered coach now. So he shows you how to think better, stay calmer, execute more consistently, and most importantly, how to enjoy the game more thoroughly. Go to StocktonGolf.com to get your copy. And like I tell you, for a couple extra dollars, he'll even autograph it for you. All right, everybody, it's time for me to put a bow on this one. My sincere thanks once again to Dave Harner, David Meltzer, and Paul Stankowski for joining me this morning and for making today's show so much fun. We thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you guys the very most. Please check out our sister show. You heard me mention it earlier. Thursday Night Tailgate with me, my co-host, Bob Lazari, and our announcer, Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Blog Talk Radio. Plus, you can also catch us on the Armed Forces Radio Network. You can find us on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spreaker, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Uh, Audio Boom now is another one that's picked up the, uh, the Thursday Night Tailgate show as well. Please, every week we have great guests. We give you five to seven current or former NFL or CFL players or members of the media sharing their stories. So uh, we have a lot of fun talking football year-round on Thursday Night Tailgate. Uh, Please also check out both shows on Facebook. Give us a like. That's important to us, too. And you can find us online, this show, nextonthetee.net and thursdaynighttailgate.com. You can stream or download any of our, our archive episodes for free and keep, keep uh, up to date with who our future guests are going to be on both shows by going to both of those sites. All right, folks, thanks again uh, for choosing to listen to this show. We appreciate you making that choice and being a part of the show with us. And until next week, hit them straight, my friends.
Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. And participating Wendy's for a limited time. Meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. Great things are happening at your friendly neighborhood Safeway. Stop by and see all the things that make a supermarket just better. Like new low everyday prices on family favorites. Shop with your club card and pick up bananas for an incredible 48 cents a pound. And for an easy, delicious dinner, get whole roasted chicken for only $4.98. Bigger selections, friendlier smiles, lower prices. Safeway, it's just better. 